Clock on the wall, in the basement, by the tools, always read 9am. I hadn't noticed this at first, but the longer I lived in the house, and the more I went into the basement, used the tools, and did other things that you would expect to do in a basement, laundry, moving around storage, the more I started to realize that the clock never once changed. Though every time I was in the basement, it happened to be around 9am anyway, so... I could never tell if it was just me noticing it at the right time or if the clock was broken. But eventually, I took the clock off the wall and I brought it upstairs into the kitchen and I started to tinker with it. My wife thought this was the weirdest thing, but I had always wanted to take apart a clock. I'd seen clock slash watch makers in stores, although there was only one left downtown that I knew of and the man that worked there was a little wonky. But I had always secretly wondered about the inner workings of a clock and how everything worked together to tell a precise time no matter where you were on the planet. My wife Beth, she'd watch over my shoulder as I took apart this clock and I'd look at its gears and I'd look at its face and I'd wonder how many people had taken a clock apart before, before me, before ever. And then I got to wondering, before a clock, was it only just a sundial? Where did it come from? Where do we come from? I fathomed a deeper meaning than I should have sitting at my kitchen table, but I had a lot of questions. Now, my wife, Beth, she's a wonderful woman, very supportive of my habits, but she didn't like springs and gears being all over the kitchen table, especially when dinner time came around. She'd always tell me to gather it up and put it in the drawer, and I was always afraid that I was going to lose a piece. And you know, if you lose a piece to a clock, you'll never put it together. And I kept thinking back to that phrase that I heard somewhere on the streets. A broken clock is right twice a day. Now I had a daughter as well, little Jessica, and she would occasionally walk by and look at what I was doing and ask me, Daddy, what are you doing? And I would say, well, sweetie, I'm attempting to figure out why this clock always said 9 a.m. And she just looked at me and said, you're silly, Daddy, and walked away. But as time wore on, and as I continued to fiddle with this clock and its gears, never coming to a solution, Although the books around the clock on the table began to grow as well because I found myself not only studying the history of clock making, or horology as it's called, but history in general. And I began to obsess, I guess you could say, or Beth would definitely say, over the time 9am specifically. Events, things that happened around that time in the past. And then it became more broad, more general. And I started to look at the number nine, and I started reading about mathematics. And the books on my table slowly started to pile up, and then spill over to the chairs, and then onto the kitchen floor. This happened to such a degree that we all ended up eating dinner when I wasn't working on the clock in the living room. Which, to most families now, that wouldn't be unusual anyway. But when Beth and I got married, we made a vow to each other on top of the wedding vows to always try to have at least one family meal per week. 
And we were good at actually having family dinners in the dining room every night up until up until I discovered that clock shortly after we moved into the house. Now, this was all fine and dandy, I guess, until one day I stumbled upon a book called Time Travel. I came from a dysfunctional family. My father was a mean drunk and my mother was just as manic as I was later in the later in the game. I didn't realize that until much later. My obsession with the number 9 grew and grew until I decided to hang a bunch of ornaments all over my walls that had the number 9. And my daughter thought it was funny to come through the room and flip some of them upside down and make them into sixes, which I cursed and screamed, but I would keep my my true feelings from her. I didn't want to take it out on her because I know she was just playing. But my obsession with the number 9 and my obsession with clocks grew and grew until it was no longer controllable. I talked about it every day. I talked about it with my wife. I talked about it with my daughter. I talked about it at work. And I couldn't get it off my mind. Sometimes I even dreamt about the number 9 floating off into the abyss. And this book on time travel had me concerned. Do I go back? Do I go forward? Do I go left? Do I go right? When do I go? Where do I go? Do I stay? If I could go, what would I do? So, on top of my already manic hobby, I decided I was going to try to build a time machine. I thought it was a good idea, and the inside of the mechanism resembled an awful lot like a clock. And, instead of being at the top of my counter, where the 12 would be, it was the number 9. Unlike all of the other books that I had read recently, I took the time travel book slowly. I analyzed and dissected each individual chapter each sentence, every word practically, and the order of which the words were in. I began to think of time travel not in a linear way, but more in a, in a grid sort of system way. I had no idea where this idea had, had popped into my head, but I began to think of time as multiverses, I guess you could say, and things happening parallel. There was no way I could even put this into words. I have a hard enough time even putting it into a story right now. But I began to think about this as I dissected each page of the book, and I have to admit that I was a bit overwhelmed and confused because I was my brain was still trying to fit 9 into it, but for some reason, with this time travel stuff, 9 was the only thing that didn't automatically connect. Then one night, I woke up. Beth was fast asleep. It was dark. I could hear crickets outside. The street was quiet. It was always quiet. We lived in a neighborhood, little suburban neighborhood anyway. No cars at night, really, except for the occasional loud music blaring from an SUV that a teenager had borrowed from his or her mother or father. And had definitely taken it home past curfew. Anyway, I woke up at around 9 p.m. and had an epiphany. All the grid stuff in my head suddenly clicked with the number 9. And again, there's still no way I can put it into words. But I suddenly knew how to build a machine. Not something you'd ride in, like cheesy sci-fi movies that you probably have heard of, if not seen or read about. More a ball. This time-traveling sphere was nothing like I'd ever heard of or seen before. And I became obsessed. As obsessed with the sphere as I was with the number 9, and as I was with the clock. Now, I took the clock and I tried to use, infuse some of the clockworks into the machine, into the sphere. And the more I thought about it, the more it all made sense. I wasn't the only person who'd ever done it. I couldn't be the only person who'd ever done it. There had to be other people out there who've done this before. All evidence led, to led me to believe that I wasn't the only person who'd come up with a sphere, who'd moved through time, back, forth, up, 
down different periods and all the evidence in all the books led me to believe that some of them were still there. So I got up from my bed, Beth still fast asleep, and I made my way to the kitchen where the gears of the clock were laid out and the books were spilling over the table. The time travel book most notably closest to the clock now. I poured and drank a glass of water and then I decided I'd go into the basement as I hadn't actually been down there since I started this crazy hobby of mine. I walked down the stairs slowly listening to them creak. I was barefoot and I knew there was nothing on the stairs, but you never know with a five-year-old daughter. So I stepped softly in the light, which was flickering by the way, another reason I was moving slowly on these wooden stairs. I went down to the basement, down to the tools, and I looked over at the wall and the clock was there. This time it said six, which made no sense because it was definitely in the middle of the night and nowhere near six in the morning. But on top of that, the clock or at least I was pretty sure the clock was still upstairs on the table, in pieces. But this was, without a doubt, the same exact clock, right by the tool bench where the old clock had been. Had someone bought a new- had Beth bought a new clock for me and hung it recently? When was the last time she even went into the basement? Had my daughter done it? No. Because the clock was my height, which was about five foot six, which is taller than my daughter, and she wouldn't have been able to reach, and there's no ladder or stool, and there was no evidence of anything being moved over to put a clock up on the wall. But then I started thinking, well, why would a little girl go to those lengths? Then I started thinking about the nines that little Jessica had flipped upside down. The more I thought about it, the more I thought it did make sense. My own daughter was trying to play tricks on me. No, this couldn't be. But again, the more I thought about it, the more angry I started to get. Why would she do this to me? In the middle of my greatest work yet. And then I caught myself in the middle of that thought. I was going crazy. So I turned away from the clock, and I went back upstairs to the clock and pieces on the table, and I closed all the books and put them in a pile by the door, and I swept all the gears to the clock in a bag, tied it up, brought it down to the basement, and tucked it under the tool bench. The next day, I would bring those books back to the library, or the various libraries that I had gotten them from, and I would put this hobby of mine away for a while. I was serious about putting away this hobby. I didn't want to deal with it anymore. My sanity felt like it was slipping. All the nines were flipping up to sixes. The clock was replaced. The sphere, although in shambles, seemed to beckon me. It seemed to call my name when I was sleeping. When I was working. I couldn't get away from it. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I could not live without fixing the sphere. I wanted to stop. It felt like an addiction. It felt like something that I could not avoid. Something that I could not stop doing. And not messing with the spheres felt impossible. Now, I hadn't made the promise to my wife, but I'd been thinking about it a lot. I wanted to put the sphere to bed. I actually wanted to break it with a hammer. So, one night, after a few glasses of champagne, I stumbled down those creaky stairs and I looked at that sphere and I said, it's over. I'm not going to build a time machine. And I lifted up one of my hammers and I smashed it into the sphere and it sparked. And I looked at it and I hit it again and I hit it again and I hit it a few more times until I couldn't feel my arm. And when I thought it was done and all over with, I turned around and I started walking back up the creaky stairs and I felt still a little messed up from all the champagne. But I swore when I looked over my shoulder that a couple of the lights started to flicker again, as if it were coming back to life. When I got into the kitchen, I stopped. For I noticed something out of my peripheral vision. Something that couldn't be there. Couldn't possibly be there. I slowly looked over to the kitchen table, where a clock lay in pieces, and books? Books everywhere. And the same time travel book opened to the same exact page it had been on before I returned the books. It was then at that moment 
that little Jessica came running by, crashing into my leg. Ow! Well, you should watch where you're going, Jessica. Well, you weren't there a second ago, she said to me, rubbing her head. Are you taking me to my recital? She looked up at me, hopefully. I said, what, what recital are you talking about? Beth came around the corner. What do you mean, what recital? We're supposed to take her to her violin concert today. Violin? How long had my daughter been playing violin? How long had I been doing this hobby that I wasn't aware of what my own kid was doing? What time is it, I said. Six o'clock. Number six was taunting. It was waiting for me around every curve. I felt like every time I looked at the clock, it was either six or nine. There was no in between. There was no outer. It was just six, just nine. Now the sphere down in the basement was calling my name worse than any drug could, and I wanted to be down there. I wanted to be with it, and I wanted to know what was going on. I planned on taking my daughter to the recital. I planned on sitting in through the whole thing, but I didn't. I went down those stairs, and I listened to them creak, and I got down there with that fidgeting light that bothered me so much, and I looked at that sphere, and I'll be damned if it wasn't back into one piece again. And I stared at it for a long time, and I wondered, is this the same time that I was in before? Have I been moving? It can't be. Is there pieces of my life missing? And I tried to think about it, and I tried to remember my daughter ever picking up a violin, and I tried I tried to remember my daughter ever playing one, but I couldn't hear one throughout the house. Which, if you've ever been in a room or in a house with somebody that plays violin, it's hard to escape. Nothing. There was no memory of her ever having one, of us ever going to a music store to buy one, of us ever paying for lessons, just nothing. No recollection of any violin anywhere in my memory. And I thought about my wife, and I thought about all of our conversations over the last six months, and I remembered nothing of her mentioning our daughter, violins, or concerts, or anything. And I began to think again that I was insane. Every night I went to bed, dreaming about the number nine and the number six, but they were always at odds. Like they were fighting. Like they were two little knights fighting over some unknown princess. The number six. The number nine. Swords out. One night I actually had a very vivid dream that I was on a chessboard and the number six and the number nine came out. And they both had arms. And they both had knight's gear on. And they both had swords. And the princess was my daughter. And she was off in a far corner looking at me, scared. And I looked back at the numbers and both of them were dead, bleeding. How or why? I'm not sure, because they were very far apart. I woke up in a cold sweat from this weird-ass dream and looked around the room. Beth was fast asleep as usual. She had always been a deeper sleeper than I had. In fact, I had night terrors, probably passed down from my father. May have had something to do with the amount of alcohol he drank. Could also have something to do with the amount of alcohol my mother drank. The next day, I awoke in my bed. Beth was not there. Jess, little Jessica, ran into my room and screamed, Let's go for a walk! How could I refuse that? So we went for a walk. We went to the nearest park, not far from Lanky's, and we walked. While we were walking, we walked past a bench where a homeless person lay. He was sleeping under a blanket of newspapers. I looked at the newspapers, and I couldn't quite be sure, but all their dates looked to be from 1969. And at least one of the articles was about a moon landing. Moon landing? Was this homeless man aware that he was sleeping under newspaper articles that might be worth some money? I couldn't help but think of the irony in that. And then I noticed that the man, who was still fast asleep, was holding something in his hand. His arm had fallen over the side of the bench, but his fist remained tight over some sort of spherical object. What I could make out between his thumb and his index finger was a, was a sort of glass, crystal-like object that reminded me of the sphere in the basement. I couldn't help but think, is it possible? Could it be? Could this man laying on the on a bench covered with old newspapers be a time traveler too? It seemed likely. It seemed possible. I looked around and I looked for any sign of the time. 
I wanted to know for sure that it wasn't 1969. And I saw automobiles, modern day, everyday cars. And I saw buildings that I remembered being built in my lifetime. And I approached the man, wondering what I was going to say to him, how I was going to start the conversation with him, what was going to happen. And I looked over my shoulder at little Jessica, who was eyeballing me pretty seriously. And I reached out and I shook the man's shoulder. And I said, sir, sir. And he slowly opened his eyes and he looked at me and he looked shocked. He's like, I know you. You're one of them. He squeezed his fist tighter over the spherical object and I stepped back, instinctively putting my arm in front of Jessica, protecting her in a way. What are you talking about? I have no idea who you are. And then I looked back at the newspapers, but they weren't the same newspapers. They were all from the day I thought it should have been. September 29th, 2019. Who are you? I asked. Can we go now? Jessica said, still staring at me intently. Yeah, I think it's time we got home. Your mother's probably home by now. And then I realized I had no idea where her mother had gone in the first place. It was a Saturday after all, and Beth didn't work on Saturdays. And as far as he knew, she didn't have any plans prior. But then again, he also had no idea that his own daughter had been practicing violin. God bless you. Oh. You went from first person to third. It was I. And then you started saying he. Oh, fuck. <laughs> How, wait, how have I not done that yet? I do that all. I actually do that when I'm writing too. Interesting. You just killed the continuity. <laughs> the old man climbed up off the bench. He was staring at me like no other human being had ever stared at me before. And he's like, "You, you caused this." And he began to rise off the bench and started screaming at me. He's like, "You, you did this." And I backed away, still covering my daughter with one hand. And I said, "Sir, I don't know what you're talking about." And he pointed at me and he stepped closer and he's like, I've been sent here from the past to stop you from doing this. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, you destroy everything. Destroy the machine. Do it now before it gets worse. And I gulped and I thought about my daughter and about her life. And I thought about all the lapses in time. And it all began to make sense. I hadn't just built a time machine. I had built something that turned time on itself. It was no wonder that bits and pieces of my memory were gone. Because they were landing in other decades. And I slowly backed away from the man. And I promised to him, I said, When I get to my basement, I will destroy the machine. I rushed home with little Jessica. Thinking about the sphere in my basement. Wondering what condition it was in. Wondering if the shock I'd had the night before was even real. And wondering... Still, how I had made it to my bedroom, and, most importantly, perhaps for our daughter, where the hell had my wife gone? We made it home, squealed into the driveway, and got out of the car. Jessica knew her way into the house. I didn't even look back, left the door unlocked, rushed into the basement, but the sphere was gone. I looked up at the wall, there were no clocks. In fact, there wasn't even a tool bench. In fact, the basement didn't even look like my own basement. The storage didn't even look like mine. I looked around and started searching. I went back upstairs, and the gears from the clock were not on the table. The books were gone. In fact, the whole house looked as different as the basement. All the wallpaper was different. Paneling now. Everything looked weirdly 60s. And I heard a voice. I can't believe it. I can't believe they did it. A familiar voice. Dad? I made my way to the living room. From the kitchen, I could see through the passageway into the living room, and I could see that... The TV was definitely not our, my own TV. The TV was one of those old box TVs. One of those TVs that you would have to have like three people to carry out of the 
TV store. One of the TVs that probably didn't have a remote control. You'd have to get up and change the channel if you hated what you were watching that much. I peered around the corner into the living room. On the floor, I could see a, a little boy sitting cross-legged between the TV and the couch where an older man, balding, sat. He, they were both very fixated on the TV where a man in an astronaut suit was bouncing around on the moon. This was all very familiar to me, but I still couldn't quite get my finger on it. I can't believe they frickin' did it. Can you believe it? No, I can't, Dad. The father took a swig from his beer bottle. Then I realized that Jessica hadn't come in yet, or at least I had no idea where she was. I turned around. Jessica? Who's that? The man from the living room yelled. He could hear me. What was going on? At this point, I was convinced that I was in some sort of weird, lucid dream. What are you doing in my house? The man stood up and he started walking towards me and he struck a marvelous resemblance of my father. And I knew as he walked towards me, that's who it was. And I at first had the urge to reach out and hug him because as much as I hated my father, I loved my father and he was coming at me, but he wasn't in the hugging mood. His eyes were gleaming and his fists were bundled and I thought he was going to kill me. Get out of my house, he yelled at me and I backed away. And I backed away, and I looked at the little boy on the floor, and I realized that was me. I had traveled back to my own childhood and witnessed the moon landing. I fucked this all up, I said. I did this. There's something wrong with the timeline. I reached for the door to the basement, but I couldn't open it. I remembered to my childhood when my father used to bolt the door from the top so I couldn't reach it. <sighs> Thank God I'm an adult, I said, and I reached up and I unlatched the bolt that I later took down as an adult. I raced down those creaky stairs to where the sphere was, and I said, How do I fix this? And I thought about grabbing it. I thought about touching it. But I remembered the giant shock that I had, and then I had an idea. What if I submerged it? What if I put water on it? It was electrical, after all. So, I raced up the stairs where my father was waiting for me, and I pushed him out of the way, and I tried to explain to him the best I could, but he wasn't listening. I grabbed a bowl of water. I ran past him again, and he tried to stop me, and he almost did. He took a wild swing, but thankfully he was drunk and he missed. He punched a hole in the plaster wall, and I raced down the stairs, passing little me, who was standing on the basement stairs looking curiously. He almost tripped me, and I didn't know what would happen if he did. And I raced down those stairs, and I looked. I stopped before I got to the sphere, and I looked up those stairs for a second. And I looked at little me. I tried to think back. Did this ever happen? Could I remember this? Was it all a loop? But it wasn't. There was no strange man running up and down my stairs when I was a child. There was a moon landing. And there was my drunk dad. But all he did was went upstairs and went to bed. And I poured that water all over that sphere. And I listened to it spark. And I listened to it hiss. And I listened to it as it screamed to its miserable death. From the living room I could hear the TV. Which seemed louder now. The reporter saying, We seem to be having technical difficulties here. We'll get back to you as soon as... As we can. If our audiences at home will wait one second, we'll be going off air. And I remembered from the moon landing of my childhood that there were technical difficulties. That the TV did seem to go blank with that eerie buzzing sound. For about 30 seconds before it came back on and the moon men were jumping around again playing golf, happy as ever, as if nothing had happened. And I remember as a child being terrified by this. What the hell had just happened? On live TV. See, we weren't used to live TV back then. So this was a, a momentous occasion. A knock came on the door. I looked up. Was it Jessica? Had she not actually come in? A younger me, the younger me, was standing on the stairs 
flickering like a light bulb about to go out. There was a knock on the door. I didn't want to walk past him because I was afraid whatever was happening to him could happen to me. But I had to. The loud banging on the door seemed urgent. More urgent than my drunk father nearly passed out in the hallway, hyperventilating. The younger me reached out to touch me as I walked past. He was in disbelief. His jaw was nearly on the floor. His eyes were huge. And he said, Mr. Mr. I know you. And I said, no. No, you don't. And I eased my way around him, trying to avoid his hand, which nearly collided with my chest. And I said, be a good kid. Don't get into a lot of trouble. Stay away from the fire extinguisher. As I walked up the stairs and I opened the door and Beth was standing there. It was my mother. Ah! <laughs> okay. Why would she knock I had on? no idea where to take that, but... Why would she knock on the front door? She had forgotten the key. <laughs> okay. All right. Take it away. Oh. Mom? Son? Where's your father? And why aren't you in bed yet? I suddenly found myself talking as if I were a little boy again. Did you see the moon landing? We landed on the moon. No, I didn't see that, son. I've been working, you know that. She looked around. Is everything okay? I looked around. Yeah? Why would you ask that? Well, I don't know. Something seems off. She walked into the living room and shut the TV off, picked up my dad's beer bottle. Where is your father? I don't know. And I didn't know, because he had passed out, but he was no longer there on the floor. Mom, where did you go? My mother looked at me, square in the eye. What do you mean, where did I go? I've been at work. No. You've been gone for a really long time. I've no idea where you went. Well, I can't tell you that, son, but I don't really know how to explain this, Mom, but weird things have been happening. Time travel and the number six and the number nine. Where did you go? She looked at me, inquisitively. I just had to go, son. Your father is an alcoholic, and I've had my drinks and my time as well, but I just couldn't be around that abuse. I had to leave, but you left me all alone. I'm sorry, son. I looked around. The house was exactly the way I had remembered it before this weird event. I looked back to my mother, and it was Beth. Are you okay? I don't think so, I said to my wife. I fell on the floor, collapsed on the floor. A tear began to fall from my eye. I have no idea what's going on. I think I have some problems to address. Behind me, Jessica came. My daughter walked up to me, and she wrapped her arms around me, and she said, It's gonna be okay, Daddy. I get it. I see them too. I hear the voices. I know. And at first, I didn't want to address it. I wanted to pretend like she was crazy. I wanted her to leave it alone because I knew that the sphere had been calling her too. And I tried to bend down and whisper into her ear so my wife couldn't hear it. Don't do it. Don't go to the sphere. It's not worth it. And as Jessica let go of me, she said, I'm sorry, Daddy. It's too late. That's when I realized that although the sphere was always there, I had never really used it. And I was shocked. Later that day, we set our clocks back as it was daylight savings time. I put little Jessica to bed. Beth and I said goodnight and our I love yous. And we fell asleep. And the next morning, I woke up early in the morning, went down into the basement, slowly, cautious as ever, about those damn creaking stairs and children. Went over to my workbench, not sure what I was gonna do. Looked up to the wall where there was a clock, 9 p.m. This has been the writer's block. kids remember to subscribe and tune in next week for the next episode of the writer's block the coolest podcast of all time time
time.